Welcome. Glad you're here today. If you got a Bible, let's open it up. We're in the book of James. We're going to be in the book of James for five weeks as we go through this series called Relationship Killers. On your seat there is an invite card. That's for you to put in your wallet or your purse. Take with you to invite somebody. Don't use it as a weapon, though, like here. You really need to come to church because the way you're treating me right now, not working for me. Like, it's not a good way to, uh, I wouldn't hand that to your boss that way. Probably wouldn't work out too well for you. But take those cards. Those are for you. We want to invite our friends, get them here for this series. This is an important series for us for the next five weeks. I hope that you'll be here all five weeks. As you look at those five relationship killers, most of us look at them and we think, oh, maybe I have one, maybe, maybe. Uh, But the important thing is that we come every single week to discover things about ourselves and even those that we love, that we care about the most, and how do we work in relationship with people through this. And so we're looking at the book of James. Uh, we're in James chapter 2 today. James, by the way, is, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's the half-brother of Jesus. Mary uh, was his mama, as Jesus was uh, Mary's uh, mom as well. And he went on to become one of the main leaders in the church, and he wrote this letter uh, to the church. And so we're in James chapter 2, and let's, let's read here. If you, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there. In the next steps room, they're free. Just go back there and say, hey, I need one, and we'll get you one. If you have a mobile device, go to corechurch.com, download the Bible app if you don't have a Bible app already. I read out of the New Living Translation, so if you're in a mobile device, that's the NLT if you want to uh, follow along with me. And James chapter 2 and verse 1. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, hey, yeah, you can stand over there, or hey, how about you sit on the floor? Well, that, that doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? I love James, one of my favorite uh, authors in the New Testament, just because he it just tells it like it is. He just hits you right between the eyes. I said this last week. He was not the Joel Osteen of his day, okay? This guy really lets you have it. Like, no, James, tell us what you're really thinking. So we're reading through the book of James uh, during this series. And I just want to warn you, as you read it, I mean, he's not fluff. James is not the fluff guy, okay? That's not where you go for the fluff. Go to the Psalms for that. David, he'll play his harp for you, and you can feel good about yourself. But James, James is the guy who uses the harp as a weapon, okay? I mean, he is an intense guy, and so he's going to let you have it. So he says this in verse 5. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. Let's pray as we prepare to hear what God has to say to us today. Father, thank you so much for this time we have uh, just to speak your truth. And, and I pray in the, in the moments that we have together that uh, you would speak to us, that we would hear from you. I want to ask you, church, if you would just pray. Uh, first, just pray for yourself that, that you would be open and, um, 
to hear what, what is God, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do, what do I need to hear? Not what does my spouse need to hear or my kids or, man, I wish my coworker was here because they need to hear this. But, God, what do you want to say to me today? And then pray for those people around you. Just a quick prayer of, man, just guys help this person on my left and this person on my right and the person behind me and in front of me. And may we all just come to a place where we are open and, and want to hear what God has to say. And pray for me as your pastor uh, that I'll be faithful to the text and what God wants us to hear today. And if you're ready to hear from the Word of God, give me a big amen. Well, there are some relationship killers that are obvious uh, and some relationship killers that are not so obvious. I mean, as we, we look through the series, there's, there's five of them that we're going to be looking at. And s- some people can kill a relationship without even knowing they're doing it. So some of the relationship killers that, that are, are not so obvious. Let me give you an example here. Space invaders. If you're a space invader, you're the person who knows no boundary of personal space. You're the person where we can smell your breath, we know what you had for breakfast, uh, and you, you know that person where they come up on you and you're just like, hey, hey, leave room for Jesus. I have a dance partner, okay? Easy. But you take a step back and what do they do? They step forward. Why do they do that? You, and then the next thing you know, you're back into a corner and they're right up here it's talking to you. Man, absolute relational killer. How about the person that never takes a breath? You know that person, like you see them coming and you know, oh, wow, I need to sit down because this is uh, going to be a while. <laughs> like they start talking and you're waiting for that moment where you can go, yeah, and they, they just don't come up for air. I don't know how they get that lung capacity. It's amazing. Uh, but they can just go on and on and on and there's, there's no break. They never break in their conversation and you know it is going to be a while. How about the uh, the pyramid builder? They're my favorites. The the people that always have something that you know. Hey, I'm on this thing, and it's gonna, this one here is guaranteed to make a lot of money. You know that person? Like you get a friend request out of nowhere on social media. You're like, I haven't talked to this person in like ten years. You friend them, and the next thing you know, you're invited to a party. You show up at the house, they got the table, and you're like, hey, here's how this works. You ruin ten friendships, and then they ruin ten friendships, and then you end up with a bunch of stuff stacked in your garage. It's awesome. you got to get in on this. It's just, uh, man, there's just all, there's some that are, are obvious and, and, and some that are not so obvious. Four out of the five, I think, that we're going to be dealing with are, I think, are very very obvious. Last week we talked about anger. Uh, if you weren't here last week, go back, listen to the podcast. I think it'll really help you if that's an issue you're dealing with or somebody you love that deals with that. Next week we're going to talk about the power of our words, then we're going to talk about fighting, then we're going to talk about complaining. I mean, these are these are all ones I think that are that are pretty obvious. But the one we're, we're looking at today, I, I don't think it is as obvious as the other five. I think it's incredibly subtle, and I think a lot of us suffer from it if not most of us at times, but we're completely unaware of it. We're completely unaware, and we have no idea that we're doing this, and it is killing our relationships. And James tells us what it is in James chapter 2, and go back to verse 1. He tells us what this relationship killer is. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith 
in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you what? If you, if you what? If you, if you favor some people over others. If you're taking notes, relationship killer number two, favoritism. Relationship killer number two, favoritism. Now, I, uh, when I go shopping, if anybody who knows me, I'm, I'm cheap. I just go cheap. I, I buy generic. I don't like spending money. I, just, I absolutely will not spend money on anything except for some things. There's some things when you go to the store that you just absolutely don't go cheap on. Okay? Toothpaste. Don't go cheap on toothpaste. You ever bought cheap toothpaste? I mean, it's like brushing your teeth with body lotion or something. It's just nasty. I mean, it has that kind of weird, like, you got. do I have hand lotion in my mouth? What is this? It's just disgusting. And nobody, you know, you're not, I won't skimp on toothpaste. I'm buying the name brand toothpaste. I got to have deodorant. You should not skimp on deodorant. Don't buy your deodorant at the dollar store. Because then you're going to smell like the dollar store, right? Nobody wants to smell like the dollar store. Right now you're probably sitting next to somebody. I think they get their deodorant at the dollar store. I'm not really certain about that. Hair products. Come on, ladies. I know. I'm married to a lady. I know how this works. We don't have money for that. We don't have money for that. But I've got to have Big Sexy. I've got to have it. All you ladies up with that Big Sexy, right? I'm not saying you are sexy. I'm just saying that it's a hair product. It's a hair product. Okay. Some of you are like, I think the pastor just called every lady in here sexy. I don't think I can come to a church where he thinks, he thinks every lady sexy. Some of you are like, he thinks I'm sexy. He thinks I'm, well, <laughs> wow. Thank you, pastor. Sorry. This is your first time. I get a little off script sometimes. I, I apologize. But when I, when I purchase things, when I, when I purchase things, and when you purchase things probably, but I know when I purchase things, I, I purchase them based on value, on the value that they have for me, I, I want, on what that product can do for me. That's why I buy that product, because I want to know what this product can do. Listen, when I go to the store, and I, I bet you do this as well, when you go to the store and you approach the, uh, the, the counter and, and all the products there on, on the shelves, you're not thinking to yourself, I wonder how I can best add value to this company. Nobody's thinking that. When you're buying a product and you're picking it up off the shelf, you're not thinking, I, I wonder how I can help this company. I just want to help this company. I want to help them succeed, and I want to add value to this. No, no, no. We buy products based on the value they have for us, what that product can do for me. Now, that works great for products, but it is a lousy philosophy when it comes to people. We can't treat people like products. But how often do we do that? How, how often do we approach people, and let's just be honest, we put a, a label on them. We label them up based on value. You, you, you do this. We do this. We come in and, and we, wherever we are, whatever environment we're in, we will put a, a label on somebody and we will we'll base value on them. But the problem is, is when we put a, a label on them and a value on them, it's usually the, the, the value in it for me. 
I'm thinking about what's in it for me. And so here, here's James, and he's saying we should not put labels on people this way. In other words, he says we shouldn't be favoring one person over another. Now, here's the thing. We all have needs and desires. Turn the person next to you and say, I got some needs and desires. We all have them. In relationship, you have needs that need to be met. You all have desires that you want to see met in your life. But here's the problem with us as people. We are takers. We are natural-born takers. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a natural-born taker. I mean, we are. We're, we're natural-born takers. And favoritism says this. I, I'm going to seek out those who can meet my needs and my desires. That, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look for those people. I'm going to label them up, put a value on them based on do they offer anything to me? Think about even when you came to church today. When you were getting dressed and you were getting ready and big sexying up your hair and putting on that dollar store deodorant. And you came to church this morning. How many of us would honestly say, when I came to church this morning and I began to see people around me, I, I started thinking about, I wonder how I can add value to him. And I, I wonder, I wonder if, how I could add value to, to her. And I wonder what that person's going through and if there's something maybe I, I, can, I can help them with. And I wonder what's going on with that person. And maybe, I, I, oh, I see them. I, I, need, I, want to, I want to make their day better. How many of us came in that way or... How many of us really honestly came into church today and we scoped around and looked around the room and, and we went to the people that make us feel better about ourselves? We, we gravitate to those people who, who like us, who, who, who know us, who will give something to us. We see, even in church, we will come even into God's house as followers of Jesus. James is writing this letter, by the way, to the church, not to the world, not to culture. He's writing this letter to the church, and he's saying, listen, you're coming even into the house of God, and you're taking. You're not trying to add value to somebody's life. You're coming to church because you're like, what do you got for me? What's it, how is this going to add value to my life? How's this song going to make me feel better about myself? Hopefully Brad has a word today that's going to make me feel better about me. And all those things are fine. We all have needs and we all have desires and we all need to grow. But how many times do we do that instead of coming into the house of God or into the workplace or into our home or into our schools? And when we see people and we meet them eye to eye, we say, man, how can I add value to that person? Do we do that? James says just about as candidly as he can, you can't claim to follow Jesus and have this attitude towards people. You can't claim to follow Jesus and favor some people over others. Why does he say that? Because when you look at Jesus, this is not who Jesus was. Jesus didn't play favorites. Luke chapter 18, you don't have to turn there, but... You might want to write that down, and I want you to read this story later. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is coming into this, this city, and the people are really excited. 
They are really excited about Jesus coming into this town and, 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 and so they're, they're, they're celebrating and they're, they're honoring him and they're shouting his name and they're, they're clamoring for Jesus and, and honestly in this moment, what's going on in this moment is they are placing a very high value on Jesus. And why are they doing this? Why are they shouting? Why are they excited? Well, most of them, honestly, are thinking, here comes the guy who can meet my needs. Here comes the guy that's going to heal me. Here comes the guy that's going to rescue Israel. I've heard about this guy. He's got something really good he's going to give to me. And is that true about Jesus? Yes. Yes. Jesus will meet our needs. But if that's as far as you've progressed in your relationship with Jesus, you have a very, 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 very shallow relationship with Jesus. Because really, there's a small group of people that were there when the crowd was shouting and yelling, and they were there thinking, how can I serve Jesus? It was 12 guys. And they're there, and they're walking with Jesus, and they're thinking, how can I serve Jesus, and what do I need to do to help Jesus, and how are we going to move this crowd along? And right in the middle of all of this, the crowd is yelling, and there's this blind beggar, and he starts yelling out Jesus' name. Jesus! He's yelling, Jesus! He's trying to get Jesus' attention over the crowd. And what does the crowd do in this moment? They're like, shut up. And they push him off to the side. They're like, be quiet. He ain't got no time for you. Are you kidding? What do they do in that moment? They're playing favorites. Favoritism. Completely overlook this beggar. You don't add any value to society. What can you do? You can't do nothing. He can do everything. So I'm going to overlook you, devalue you, and value him. But I love what Jesus does in, in Luke 18. If you were to read this story, and I encourage you to read it later, Jesus says, whoa, whoa hang, hang, hang on. Who's, who's yelling? And he calls the blind beggar over to him. This man has nothing to offer Jesus. Jesus doesn't call him over because he's going to make me look good, feel good. He's got something. We can't give anything to Jesus. He gives everything to us. And so Jesus in this moment, when this guy can't offer anything to him, instead, he offers himself to this man. And he heals this man. This is what I'm trying to get said this morning. If you're taking notes, I'd like for you to write this down. Is Value people. Don't favor people. Value people. Don't favor people. There's a a lot of reasons why we show favoritism. And and honestly, um, all all of them have one thing in common. Me. Every single one of them. When you you look at the story in Luke 18, when you look at what James is talking about, uh, this is how we we approach relationships. if I can just get my needs and my desires met, then I'd be happy. And we spend all of our time and our lives trying to make ourselves happy. Happiness becomes our number one goal, making me happy. And what happens is when I make happiness, my happiness, my number one goal, I begin to show favor instead of value. I, I show favor to some people and, and, and I don't value others because I want to know what can you do for me? What can you give to me? What, what can this 
What can this person do for me? Instead of, what can I do for this person? James is telling us, value people, don't favor people. Instead of saying, what can this person do for me? What can I do for them? What I love about Core Church is our core team volunteers. How many of you are a core team volunteer? You serve on a team somewhere in the church. Look around, hands raised up, okay? So you know what? You, if you, put your hand in, you guys get it. You get it. You understand it. You come to church, when you walk into the house of God, you know, I am here to serve others. Our whole, our whole concept, our whole philosophy, everything we do with serving on a core team is all about adding value to people. It's all about saying we value everyone. Everyone has value. We don't favor anyone. This is what I love about our, our, our core kids volunteers. Every week as they're in the back and, and right now they're serving and they're not sitting in the seats and they're not a, a part of this experience and later they'll go and listen to the message online. These people, they get it. They understand it. The, you, you saw Joanna Micah up here and our, our core youth volunteers that on a Wednesday night when the rest of us are sitting at home and watching television or chilling and relaxing, they're here serving every single week, adding value to our students. They get it. I, I encourage you, get on a core team. If you didn't raise your hand and you call Core Church home, I don't know what your problem is. Get on a team. Get on a team. It's the only way to cure favoritism in your life. It's the only way to break the selfishness within you is to get on a team and begin serving other people. That's why I love what happens in here every single week from our guest services team to the people who show up early and make the coffee to the people who are back at the soundboard that never get any props except when a slide goes wrong or a video doesn't work. And then we all look back and we're like, oh, who's back there working this week? What are they doing? Can't they get their act together? I didn't see you here at 9 o'clock this morning getting everything ready. But they show up at 9 o'clock, 9.45, when, when most of us are rolling out of bed. They are getting paid? Why are they doing that? Because they get it. Because they're like, I want to add value to people. I'm tired of living for myself. Tired of making it about me. I want to love people. I want to give them favor. So I want to give you three areas, okay? Three areas that I think are really concrete, that I think will help us, that we show favoritism. Three areas of our lives that we show favoritism. The first one might come as a surprise, and that is the church. It's the one place you think we wouldn't show favoritism, but it is. And James talks about it in verses 2 through 4. He talks about how the early church was doing this. And this is crazy because... It had been less than 10 years since the early church had been established. And if you've read in the book of Acts, Acts tells this beautiful story of the early church and how they shared with one another. Uh, They would sell property to give to one another. Everybody was helping out each other. They were praying for another, caring for... It was just an incredible picture. This is less than 10 years later, and James has to write this letter of rebuke to the church because he says, look, look. You're showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. And, and we see that and we're like, yeah, why were they doing that? I'll tell you why they were doing that. This is why they were doing that. Because they were poor. The church had no money. Because what was happening is the Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus 
And when they came to faith in Jesus, guess what? Unlike you and unlike me, they lost their jobs. Unlike you, unlike me, they lost their families. Why? Because they renounced the Jewish faith and they put their faith in Jesus, the one person they're not supposed to do that. So many of them lost their jobs. Many of them lost their source of income. Many of them lost their support unit in, the, in their families. This, the church was very, very poor when it started. And what happened is, after a few years, some rich people, some people with money, started coming to church. And the leaders were like, cha-ching! And the advisory board members were like, cha-ching! Would you like this special parking space? We would love for you to park right here. We have a special seat for you right up here. Which seat would you like? Listen, you don't have to sit in the front. You can sit anywhere you want. We'll mark it off. We'll rope it off. You can have that seat right there. We'll double cushion that bad boy for you. This is what the church was doing. And they were saying to the poor, you know what? You sit on the floor. Just sit on the floor right over here. Listen, this, this seat right here, this is this. No, you can't sit here. That's for people with money. You know, you, you, why don't you sit in the back? Because this, this is for the, we need the elite here. Why, why were they doing that? Because they, they needed money. Because the church, they, were, they, were, they knew this is a resource, a place of resource. And so they're sitting there going, yeah, we'll let them. They can have these nice seats right here. Where would you like? You sit wherever you want to sit. Now, we, we hear this and we think, man, that's just crazy that they would do something like that. But then you fast forward. The church has been doing this for 2,000 years. You'd think we'd read the book of James. We'd learn from the book of James. But 1700s, the 1800s, all happened all over again. Happened in the 500s, the 600s. What happened in the 1700s and the 1800s, it just continued on throughout history. What's crazy, if you go back and you look at church history in the 1700s and 1800s, they were selling seats to the poor or to the rich. And the poor couldn't afford them. So the poor didn't get the best seats. Sometimes they didn't even get to get into the church. When the Black Plague was going through England, they didn't want anybody in the church. You were poor, you didn't have money, you couldn't come into the church. They didn't want you in the church. And then the poor began to see, we're not welcome in the church, and they stopped coming to the church. Because they saw only the rich had the special seats and the places of honor, and that, and they weren't welcome. So they stopped coming. And I love, I love John Wesley. Might want to write that name down. John Wesley. I have a John Wesley bust in my office. He looks like a really ugly old lady, but he was an amazing Amazing man of God. And he said, you know what? He was in the Church of England and he said, you know what? This is, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. And so he went out and started preaching in the streets where the poor were. He went out into the fields, into coal mines. He said, I'm going to start preaching to them. And, and the, you know what the church people did? You'd think the church people would join him. Hey, we're going to follow you, pastor. No, they didn't. They kicked him out. <laughs> That's what you're going to do? No. Fast forward to the 1900s, a guy by the name of Phineas F. Brzee, the founder of the International Church of the Nazarene, same deal. He's a pastor in a Methodist church. He's doing the same thing. He goes off on a speaking engagement, comes back. They've taken his church away from him because they're like, we don't want those people in our church. Wow. So fast forward to 2015. Can I just warn us? Y'all know where we live, right? Y'all know where our church is, right? We're in the suburbs. It'd be so easy to be a church for the suburbs. It'd be so easy to just get comfortable and say only the suburb people are welcome. If you, you know, we're going to check your car as you pull into the parking lot. We have a circle drive and you can just keep going if you don't have the right kind of car and we have a special parking space for you. You're laughing because it's stupid. 
We just don't, we don't work that way here. That's not how we operate at Core Church. Money has never impressed me as a pastor. I'm telling you, money has never impressed me as a pastor. Nobody can wave their pocketbook around and get my special favor. I don't care. I don't care. Equal ground at the foot of the cross is what it's like here at Core Church. Equal ground. Every person is welcome here. What I love about our church is the rich sit right next to the poor. The haves sit right next to the have-nots. It is an equal level playing field. Okay, We all love and care for one another. We don't see labels. We don't see incomes. We don't see anything but men and women and children of God. That's who's welcome here. That's the kind of church we have to fight to be. That's why last year we partnered with other churches and helped to launch Abba Compassionate Ministry Center. You know why we did that? Because we are not going to lock ourselves down in the suburbs. It's not going to happen. If we were to become a suburb church, I'd be, I'm done. I'm not going to pastor that church. If we're going to forsake the least, the last, and the lost, it ain't going to happen. We've got to remember them. We've got to continue to build bridges to places of, that are impoverished and that need assistance and help. And we will constantly reach our hands out. And do what we can to help and make a difference in this community. That's, yeah, that's worth clapping because that's the kind of church we want to be. But we have to fight for that. Because we always think about my needs and my desires and everybody do not think, well, I would never do that, Pastor. Then you're in danger of that happening to you. We have to walk in humility and say, man, but by the grace of God go I. I don't know why God blessed me the way He blessed me, except that He blessed me to be a blessing. I'm just telling you. Man, we, you know, when we take offerings and when we serve and things, man, you, you got to become a generous person. Be generous. God's blessed you. How dare we hang on to it? God Almighty saw fit in the creation of all humanity. All humanity. He saw fit to bless you the way He blessed you and bless me the way He's blessed me. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to drive the car I drive, which is a 12-year-old car. I'm sorry, it's 15 right now. Wow, it's really getting old. I drive a 15-year-old car, but I'll be honest with you, I don't even deserve to drive that thing. When I get phone calls and I hear from people who say, Pastor, could you pray for me? Is there something our church can do? Because my car's not running and I can't get it fixed and I don't know what to do. And I think, man, but by the grace of God, go I. And if you live in the suburbs or you live anywhere in Tulsa, Oklahoma and around the metro area, you're blessed. You're blessed. And do not hold on to that blessing. Do not hold on to that blessing. God gave it to you for a purpose and for a reason. He said, I'm going to bless you so you can bless other people. That's the church we want to be. We don't want to be these high and mighty churches that sits out in the suburbs and collects all the... I'm not going to go there, but collects... I'm not going to go there. I'm just not going to go there. I hope you know what I mean. We, we will value people. We will not favor people. That's the kind of church... That we want to be. Second place I think that, that we do this is in the workplace. Man, in the workplace, society says do whatever you can to get ahead. 
That's, that's the prescription for our society is do whatever you can to get ahead. It's, it's, it's kind of like corporate survivor out there, isn't it? You're going to go to work tomorrow? You're just hoping you ain't going to get voted off the island? You're making alliances? Oh, come on now. I'm preaching because I'm getting up in your junk now. You're all hallelujah on the church stuff, but now, oh, now you're talking about where I work. Hang on a second here. But it's like corporate survivor. I'm going to make my alliances, you know, bring me your torch. You know, I mean, you just, you're hoping that's not going to happen. And so, <laughs> so we say things we don't mean to get things we want. Come on now. Even followers of Jesus, you go to the workplace tomorrow and you'll say something to a coworker, or you'll say something to your boss that you really, you really don't mean because you just want to get what you want. That's not who Jesus is. James says you can't have faith and favoritism. They don't go hand in hand because they're not like Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus said things like this. Among you, it's got to be different. I know in this world, everybody lords it over everybody else. I know everybody's jockeying for position, but among you, it's got to be different. The first got to be last. That's the way it's got to be. The first have got to be last. The leader, the leader has to be the servant. And then he's like, okay, I guess you're not getting this. And in John chapter 13, uh, if you've been in, any church, in church for any amount of time, you've read the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. If you haven't, John chapter 13. Read that later. Here's Jesus, and he gets down, and he stoops down, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. He's not supposed to be doing that. This is the point where somebody else washes his feet. Jesus should be jockeying for position here. Okay, I'm the top dog. I don't go down and wash your feet. You have nothing of benefit. You can't do anything for me. And here he is down washing their feet. What's he saying to them? He's saying, listen, the leader's got to be the servant. The first has got to be last. And what's funny is the disciples, they don't get it. Why? Because they're all jockeying for position. They're thinking Jesus is getting ready to set up his kingdom. They don't really understand the kind of kingdom he's setting up. They don't understand what we know today. They think he's going to liberate Israel. And they're like, sweet, I'm going to be the leader. I'm going to be second command. I'm going to be the treasurer. I'm going to be secretary of state. I mean, these guys are flat out jockeying for position. So when they're sitting at the table and they're looking at each other, they're, they're thinking, I'm not, I'm not getting up and washing feet because if I wash feet, then, then, then Peter's going to get ahead of me. And then and I'm Bartholomew. I do getting Bartholomew's feet because then he's going to, I want what he's got and he's got this. And I, I show him favor and then he's going to jockey and he's going to get ahead of me and I can't let somebody get ahead of me. Isn't that what we do in the workplace? We don't help somebody because they might actually get ahead of us. What would happen if you went into work tomorrow and you valued people instead of favoring people. What would happen as a follower of Jesus if you went into work and you said, I just want to help. I just want to serve. I just want to try to make your world a little bit better. I don't care what benefit comes back to me. I don't care what happens. But how can I help you? Value people. Don't favor people. The third place I think that we do this that we don't realize is in the home. So we do, we do this in the church. We do this in the workplace, and we do this in the home. I think if there's one place that we undervalue people, it's, it's in the home. See, our, our, family, our family sees how we, we treat other people, and then they see how we treat them. 
And so many times we overlook our family because we think, well, what do they have to offer me? And we're off doing all these great things for everybody else and helping everybody else and doing all these things. And our family sees that. And they see that we don't value them and that we're giving favor away to other people. I mean, parents, your kids are watching you. And they see how you treat others and they see how you treat them. Husbands, wives, they see how you treat other peers. They watch how you treat other women, men. They watch how your wife watches how you treat other women and vice versa. They're like, wow, sure nice to that lady. Why isn't he that way to me? Wow, she sure is kind to that guy. Why isn't she kind to me? Kids, your parents see it. If you're a child or a teenager, man, I can't tell you. How, how many of you parents have ever gotten this phone call, you know, when your child has spent the night with a, with a friend and you, you get that phone call and the parent says, hey, I wanted to talk to you about little Johnny. You're like, oh, man, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. He is just so wonderful. Oh, my goodness, he's so much help to me. And, and he was just so kind and, and honoring. You're like, my child? You're talking about my kid? Not my kid. That's but. Gotten that phone call? I've gotten that phone call. Listen, if you're a teenager, the way you treat your friend's parents, you should be treating your parents the same way. Don't favor people. Value them. As, as a staff, we've had this, this challenge recently where, uh, and I've got this off of a blog and a book that we're reading through, but basically the challenge that we've had for 30 days, and we've written it down, and we're look, each of us are looking at it every single day, is... Uh, treat every single person you meet like they're the most important person on earth. Treat every person you meet like they're the most important person on earth. So I've been reading that every day and working on that. And then, I, and honestly, as I was preparing this message, I started thinking about my family. And so um, sitting down at the breakfast table with um, Sky, and I was, honestly, this was just a few days um, after our big um, Frozen 2 blow up. Um, <laughs> But hey, I let it go. I let it go. Um, you're welcome. So this is a couple of days a- after that, and I was working on this message. I've been working on this for about a month now. And I was sitting there, and we had this challenge. And I'm like, okay, I need to make her feel like the most important person on earth. And, and how many times am I overlooking my own daughter who's sitting at the table with me, and, and we're not conversing? So I was like, okay. So I, I, she's sitting like right there, and I said, hey, so uh, what are you doing today? And she looks up and she's like, um, same thing I've been doing for 16 years now, going to school. Awesome, awesome. So, um, uh, what classes you taking? <laughs> like, she's like, same ones I've been taking for 16 years. What's wrong with you, Dad? Are you feeling okay? I'm like, oh, man, I'm just like, I can't, I'm not good at that. I'm not subtle. I'm just trying to have this conversation with my daughter. And so I'm like, hey, what are you going to do in your classes? She's like, stop it. Like, well, I just want to have this. And so we, we continue this conversation. The funniest part about this thing, though, was as awkward as that conversation began, it finished incredibly beautiful. Because she began to tell me about some of her classes and some of the things that she was working through and and some of her highs and some of her lows. And we had an incredibly intimate conversation where I was able to encourage her and build her up and affirm her. Why? Because in that moment I decided I was going to value her. How many times in our families do we undervalue 
those we love the most. So James says this in verse 9, if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. Wow. What we have to take away from this, and listen, everybody, just everybody on this, okay? This is so important. You don't just check out on this and go, hey, I'm going to try to do a little better at this. Hey, I'm going to try to help out a little bit. No, James says this. He basically says favoritism isn't an unhealthy decision. It's an unholy decision. It's sin. Favoritism isn't an unhealthy decision. It's an unholy decision. He calls it sin. If we want to value people, we've got to become Christ-centered instead of self-centered. Because at the root of favoritism, again, is me. As long as I live for me and I make happiness my number one goal, I'm always going to favor people and I'm not going to value them because it's going to be about me. And James says, that, my friends, is sin. To think only about yourself and to make it all about you and me is sin. But here's the good news. The more that we become Christ-centered, the less we become self-centered. So if today you look at your own life and you're like, man, I am incredibly self-centered. I want to encourage you to become Christ-centered in your life. For some of you today, that means making a commitment to follow Jesus for the very first time. Putting your faith in Him. Until you begin the journey with Jesus, it'll still all be about you. For some of you who are a follower of Jesus, it's time for you to lay yourself down. To surrender yourself and say, i got to stop making this world about me. i got to stop making my life about me. I gotta start making it about Jesus. When I make it about Jesus and I'm Christ centered, I'm gonna become less self centered. I will begin to value people instead of favor. Let me pray for you. God, in this moment, we ask that you would move on our hearts. You would speak to us. You're here today, maybe you're a follower of Jesus. You say, Brad, I'm a little self centered about myself. It's time for me to surrender myself. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe there's an area of your life you need to surrender that to Jesus right now. Or maybe it's just completely all of you. Brad, I've been living only for myself. I've been in that shallow relationship with Jesus that you talked about earlier. It's been all about me. What can Jesus do for me? What can Jesus do for me? Listen, if that's where you're at, if your mindset is, what can Jesus do for me? What can Jesus do for me? You're still living for yourself. Being Christ-centered is about saying, what can I do for Jesus? What can I do for Him? So make this your prayer. God, I fully surrender my life to You today. I lay down my pride. I lay down my selfishness. I lay down everything that is in me, and I give it over to You. God, fill me completely with Your Holy Spirit. Fill me, God. If that was your prayer today, nobody looking around, just raise your hand. I want to know who you are so I know how to pray for you. Anybody? Got my hands up, yeah, in the back, front, sides, everywhere. God bless you for fully surrendering your life to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're today, you're not a follower of Jesus. Here's your prayer today. God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've messed up, and I'm far from you. But I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you would take my sin away. I ask that you would make me new inside. God, take out my sin nature and put in 
your Holy Spirit take out my heart of stone and put in that heart of flesh and soften me up, God, and make me more like you. You prayed that prayer today. I'd like to know who you are. Just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus in your life for the first time, I see you over here on the side. Anybody over on this side? You prayed to receive Jesus for the very first time. I see a couple people have done that. Anybody else? You received Jesus today for the very first time. Can we give them a hand? Can we give everybody a hand? It's awesome. Welcome to the family of God.